Welcome back everyone to Franklin Covey's On Leadership Series. I'm Scott Miller and by now most of you know I serve as the host and interviewer of this weekly podcast interview series, now the fastest growing and world's largest distributed weekly podcast to the topic of leadership. Each week we invite a different guest to come on and share their own insights about their leadership journey. Sometimes we focus on the science of leadership. Sometimes it's the art of leadership. Today is a bit of both. I've invited my friend Mike Koenigson, who is a 13-time author, best-selling author, author of numerous books around personal brand, publishing, coaching, entrepreneurialism. And Mike's joining us today from his studio in La Jolla, California. Mike, welcome to On Leadership. It's my pleasure. It's great and fun to be here today. Great to see you, Mike. By all of our first 90 interviews, you by far have the best set. Thank you for being so digitally adept. You're, um, you're uh, a prolific author, you're a speaker, you're a coach, you're a brand agent, you help advise CEOs, and you wrote a book recently called Cancerpreneur, How You, Your Marriage, Family, and Business Can Survive and Thrive a Cancer Diagnosis and treatment. I want to talk a bit about this book for a moment. Mike, before I get into the book, will you talk a bit about your professional journey? For those who may not be familiar with you or I've read your 13 books, talk a bit about your journey and then I'll get into Cancerpreneur. Sure. The, the short version and what uh, Dan Sullivan, my uh, good friend and podcast host that I do um, from Strategic Coach, describes me as a guy who's reinvented himself seven times so I grew up in a very small town called Eagle Lake, Minnesota. There were 763 people who lived in that town. And uh, I always felt like I was an outsider or a bit of an alien. And that's something that happens to a lot of uh, entrepreneurs, I think. I was born an entrepreneur, started working full time the day I turned 16. And um, the way I got started professionally is by programming. That was my way out of town. I wasn't great at sports, certainly wasn't good at school. But I started businesses one after another. And um, I have built and sold now four companies. Um, but along the way, um, the best way to put this is I drove hard for 30 years and eventually it caught up to me. So um, I can stand here and look at you and say my first uh, business cost me a marriage. And it was, um, about, it was my, my, my fault. My second and third just about cost me my life. So um, since then, I've really been on a path help business leaders, business owners create balance in their lives through positive reinvention, uh, leadership, co-creation. And that's really what I stand for right now is after making it on the other side, um, I know what it's like to go through all the pains and pitfalls and loss of being a business owner and an entrepreneur and sometimes spinning out of control because of our old traumas somehow come up and, and meet us. Mike, you've authored 13 books. I haven't read all of them, but I've read many of them. You have a unique writing style I kind of call fierce writing. You tend to sit down for, you know, eight, ten days, two, three weeks, and just fiercely write a book, which is why you've become so prolific. The book I want to focus on today is called Cancerpreneur. And for the first time in, I don't know, 90 interviews, I'm going to read a fairly long passage out of the book because I think it's so visceral and ask everybody to listen carefully and then have you kind of pick up that journey and walk us through a bit. So be patient with me. It's, this is how the book opens. I was an idiot for six months. I started bleeding from my butt and didn't do anything about it until it was too late. I started noticing spots of blood in the toilet and later spots of blood on every chair when I sat down. 
I started wearing black underwear and pants, so I wouldn't think about it. My dad suffered from hemorrhoids, so did I, and occasionally they bled. That's what I thought I had, bleeding hemorrhoids, which I ignored. Looking back, I knew something was wrong, but like many busy entrepreneurs, I said, I just don't have time to slow down. My business will fall apart. That'll never happen to me. Yeah, right, after ignoring the problem and seeing it worsen over months, I confessed to my wife, Vivian, that I was bleeding when I pooped. Her response was as subtle as a landmine. People who bleed out of their ass have cancer, Mike. Go to the doctor. I'm gonna let you pick it up. I I love just the visceral nature, your humility, your vulnerability in that. Everyone that's listening is tuned in right now. Pick up that story and just take us down the journey. Oh, man. Um, Well... I actually forgot that moment until just now. <clears throat> well, it's emotional, isn't it, Mike? I can see it in your eyes. It's emotional for you. Yeah. Um, you know, at the time I had an 11 year old boy, and I think where I went to was, you know, what's this kid going to do without a dad? Because statistically, you know, you hear about boys who are raised without their fathers. And my, my wife is amazing, but it really hit me. And um, what I can tell you is, I. Since that time, I get these calls and I talk to entrepreneurs who are literally watching them die before my eyes due to stress and overwhelm and driving hard. And and that's what I saw in myself is I had felt so small for so long, you know, insecure and unworthy, even though I had a huge presence and a big stage and had been earning millions of dollars. But it was all this race, this fight, this fear driven um, and I don't know if it was, uh, it was this drive. That's the only way I can sum it up. And, um, and I wore a mask, a, a mask of, of motion and, and not of pure honesty. And, um, and I had no idea what to do. Of course, when you get cast in and you get a diagnosis, your first thing is, well, what should I do? Who should I listen to? What should I look for? And if you go to the great internet gods, um, you're going to get overwhelmed and confused. And suddenly everyone's got advice for you. And um, what I did is I went in, I met with a doctor, I had a a colonoscopy, the doctor came out. And uh, he looked at me and he said, look, Mike, I don't need a biopsy to know exactly what's going on. You've got less than six months to live. You got to get that thing cut out of you. I'm going to give you the name and number of a great surgeon and an oncologist and a radiation oncologist. And you need to get that thing cut out of you this week. Mike, what Um, was the diagnosis? What was the diagnosis? So stage three, a colorectal cancer. And, um, and at that point, the big fear you have is if you go terminal, if you go stage four, you're really screwed. Um, colorectal cancer isn't something to be messed around with. So I, uh, I immediately made uh, f- arrangements to fly home and see my parents. I didn't want to tell anyone. And of course, the other fear that I've got going on is, holy cow, if, pub- if this gets out to the public, because I'm public facing, the face of my businesses, my employees are going to get scared and abandon me. My clients are going to get scared and abandon me. And um, any any means of survival is going to go away. You know, all these little fear things start going through your head. And 
I went home. I looked at my parents in the eyes and I told them what was going on. And uh, right before that, I went up and I told my son, who's 11 at the time. So, you know, it's, he's going to understand what he can understand. But I said, um, I have cancer. This is what it means. I know I'm going to be okay. I know you're going to be okay, but there's going to be a period of time, probably a year, where I'm going to be tired and I'm not going to be able to play with you as much, but I'm going to be here for you and with you. And he's like, okay, daddy. And the core lesson from that is being able to transfer my own uh, confidence made a huge difference. The same with my parents. I looked at my my parents. And one thing my dad said to me when I was younger that didn't hit me as hard as at that moment, he said, I never want to see the, the funeral of one of my children. Um, and that's, that's what I had going through my head as well. Um, for my own son, you know, I really understood like just seeing the death of your own child is the worst thing that could possibly ever happen. So I went there and, and um, I really made a, a commitment that no matter what was going to happen, I was going to fight this thing. And I uh, told my parents, and they were like, all right, son, we, uh, we know you're strong and you'll get through this. I told my family, told very few people outside of that. And when I came home, went in for surgery the next week, and I had uh, my entire uh, sigmoid colon was removed, a third of my rectum, and it turned out I had a five and a half centimeter tumor, the top part of my rectum, which is a horrible place to have it, by the way. And I can remember telling the doctor, you know, well, and this is like, this is the selfish part, but I mean, I was like, if I have to have a bag, don't even wake me up. Because um, at 46, um, I couldn't imagine going through life like that. But of course, again, all your values get mishmashed what's important to you, what you fear. You know, it's not uncommon when you've got colorectal cancer that um, after the treatments, you're impotent, you have no bladder control, maybe no control over your rectum, nothing to hold it in. I mean, you just don't know. Yeah. And um, the evening of the surgery, my surgeon came in, she was crying, and uh, she said the lymph is involved so you're going to need uh, chemo, and uh, we can talk about the other treatments as well. And, um, you know, and, and bottom line is I was very, very, very close to going terminal because when, once the lymph is involved and once the cancer gets through some of the other walls, it can go straight to your bones and the rest of your organs. And from there, it's a, it's a quick downhill battle. Mike, I want to um, take a moment and just genuinely appreciate your enormous transparency and raw vulnerability because everyone in this studio is fixated listening to you right now behind the cameras, and you're giving everybody a gift by talking so genuinely raw about your experience because many of us, all of us are going to face some version of this, if not with our parents, our spouse, our kids, ourselves, so this conversation is a huge gift you're giving to the world through just our podcast as well. I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. You know, everybody has different realities, right? Some people are very bold, some are more timid, some are more scared, some have uh, uh, you know, fears and they've been through journeys with their parents. So everybody approaches it differently. So recognizing that, I'd like to have you just share from your own perspective, what were some of the decision-making gates on how you chose to handle it with your son 
and your friends and your business? What were some of the reasons why you handled it differently? Because some people don't tell their kids they have cancer for decades, right? My father's dad died of cancer when he was 10. My dad never knew. They never shared it. So if you'll walk through some of your decisions, then we'll talk about your advice on working with doctors, dealing with the internet, diet prescriptions, the, the whole conversation that people I think can benefit from. Absolutely. Well, I think, you know, when I look through, through my lens, I think the first thing is you got to get clear with your creator um, and come to terms with uh, mortality for sure. That's, to me, the key thing. And I can't tell you for sure that that happened right away, but it certainly did once um, the surgery and the chemo and the radiation kicked in. And we'll go down that path because it's, it's a dark dark path. And I will also start by saying, through my lens, not telling what's going on and sharing your feelings with those who are close to you is a massive disservice. It is an, an, a horrible act of selfishness because uh, in order to survive, what we know is the closer the people who love you are around you, the, the better chance you have to survive. Um, for, for women who have breast cancer, for example, those who join support groups to just talk about what's going on, talk about their feelings, survive. And we are, we are spiritual beings in the material world. And I think that's first and foremost. And, and cancer forces you to reconcile your mortality in ways that are so profound that I will say, looking at it, it became a gift. And what I did inside my mind is I chose to treat this as a massive gift from God. And um, take a moment to settle down and slow down and feel again, because I had become so disassociated from my feelings and my emotions that uh, I... Uh, it, it was a huge awakener, and it was so humbling for sure. And, and I'll also say that everyone now will say that they like the post-cancer mic much better than the pre-cancer mic. Hmm. So having said that, including my wife, I talked to my wife extensively, and she and I arrived at a plan that we were both comfortable with. So having that conversation up front, a meeting with doctors, and, and ultimately, after the surgery, I got 11 second opinions about what to do next. I'll talk about that in a bit. So how did I discuss it? I told my son right away, well, absolutely transparently, um, put together a plan with my wife. And then I told my, at the time, my partner and a couple key employees what was going on, um, but did not tell any clients, customers, or anyone publicly until I really understood what the plan was moving forward um, and what I felt, I, what the narrative could be in such a way that I controlled the narrative. So that's where the controlling business side of me came out because if the news would have spun out of control, things can get weird. <clears throat> and I didn't post anything online, et cetera, et cetera. Um, one mistake I did make though is I did write a document, and I um, and what I did is is once I did go slightly public um, after my 
I was going through chemotherapy, so they installed a port in me. Um, and every other week, I was getting a regular treatment. Um, and by then, I had an idea what was going to go on. So I wrote a document, and it, it said, here's how to communicate with me. So I created some rules, because once word gets out, you'll get hundreds of people giving you advice from every direction possible, and most of it is bad advice. Stop there a second. I think one of my favorite yeah. parts of the book was you talked about the onslaught of advice from well-intended, distracting people about crystals and all these things. I mean, lighten the mood a bit there and talk a bit about how careful you have <laughs> well, to be on that. crystals and fuzzy bunnies. Right, yeah. talk about that a bit. True that. So, um, yeah, yeah, we, we, things could get really dark here, but, but that is exactly what happens is all these well-intentioned. And there was one doctor I went and saw who his recommendation is, yeah, just come in, um, drink green juice for, uh, two weeks and get coffee enemas and, uh, you're going to be fine. And he recommended against surgery and chemo and radiation. And I know for a fact, I'd be a dead man if it were, if it weren't for that. I have friends who have contacted me who are now dead because they did not take rapid, immediate action. So yes, yeah, so what I did is I, I wrote a document and I said, if you want to communicate with me, here's how to do it. And I basically forced people to jump through hoops, which was do the research, provide the citations, print it out and mail it to me. Here's my address. Hmm. I said, I'm not gonna accept any advice or recommendations via email <laughs> or phone calls. I'm not gonna schedule calls. I need to reserve all of my energy for my uh, health, my family and recovery. And by creating clear boundaries, I was amazed that everyone paid attention to it. And my assistant was instructed, like if anyone wants to talk to me about cancer and they weren't a close friend, they got this email with explicit, specific instructions. And of course I got mailed tons and tons of books, most of it nonsense. And, um, and ultimately, uh, what I did again is I went out and I met with 11 doctors. I asked them all a series of questions that I thought got to the truth of how to get good information and also get the doctors to participate in the recovery. So they felt like a hero in, in my journey. And psychologically, that was super powerful. And for um, the sake of, again, managing this information, because you got to realize when you start going through treatment, chemo, radiation, you're lucky if you have an hour of strength a day, best case, because most of the time you're laying in the fetal position in a pile of your own hair. It's awful. Wow. Mike, what advice would you give us on the business side? So let's talk to this audience about how, how, what you've learned around not just running a business as a very successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and employees, but speak to the everyday person like me who might have a corporate job as well, what advice would you give to people on how to balance their career and their energy and their longevity with the, the self-care necessary to hopefully survive and come back to thrive again? Well, I think the first thing is there's a grand lesson you learn when you're going through this, and that is what is important and what is not important and how much you can actually get done with very, very little energy and time and how easy it is to ask for help and receive it. So the key thing is, again, just to frame this a little bit, after surgery, I had my port installed, I'm getting weekly doses of chemo and 
Also, uh, eventually I went to Duke for radiation treatment, which basically means you are buck naked laying in a lead tray with your junk in a tray, um, a flag, in, in my case, a flag in my rear end getting zapped, and, um, <laughs> and it burns. Everything burns. Pan burns, pooping burns, every fluid that moves through your body burns. It's like having an internal sunburn. Um, that along with all the nausea and like you feel like you taste metal in your mouth all day, every day. And it, you get used to this sensation of waking up and looking at your pillow to see hair, you know, laying there. You are literally decomposing and dying. And that's part of the way the chemical treatments work. So having said that, <clears throat> you imagine that. Oh, also, you've got a when you're you've got a bathroom uh, urge you've got roughly three to four seconds to make it to the toilet or you're in trouble. And wow. it's just because your body's just getting rid of everything all the time. It doesn't know what's going on. So you spend a lot of time meditating, I'll say that, and focusing on what's important. So the core element of this is your team will show up and fill in the gaps for all of the fears and all the stuff you think is important Team shows up, takes care of everything, and surprisingly, your business probably will run better when you're not in the middle of it. That's one of the grand lessons I mm. had. Mm. So trust your team if you have a team. Uh, the next thing is learn to delegate and communicate with the fewest number of words possible. In my case, um, I use voice memos on my phone, and I communicated, and I just create all these little communications that were thoughtful. And obviously, in that state, of pure physical misery, I found I became incredibly compassionate and empathic. So I was able to communicate in a feeling fashion that was so effective at uplifting other people and connecting with them. I know my doctors regularly said um, the reason they knew I was going to survive is because they never saw me without a smile on my face. So um, using this as a, as a growth mechanism. I just looked at it as a tool. It was an effective way to become a powerful leader <clears throat> and a better human being. And I approached it from that perspective. That was my mindset every step of the way. Mm. So I asked for help. I delegated like crazy and um, created little nuggets of content. And eventually, I wrote a letter to my customers and clients and I allowed them to participate in the journey without it being a pity journey. So I think that's a key distinction. If this is a poor me uh, effort, it, uh, it's pathetic, and I think you'd lose people. Instead, it's like, here's what happened. I've got great care. I've got amazing doctors. I've got an incredible team, and I want to let you know how incredibly grateful I am for you. Um, and I want you to know I've got an amazing team that's going to take great care of you. And you don't have to worry about a thing. I'm not worried about a thing. So, again, that transfer of certainty starts coming through you. And when you feel it and you know it and you have trust in your creator, trust in the process, trust in your team, and you relinquish control, amazing things happen. I believe the universe just provides and gives you exactly what's required. Mike, were there ever times during the chemotherapy and the radiation where you felt like giving up and thought maybe this is what's supposed to happen to me? And, and, and talk about how, talk to how others might fight 
find that same scenario, what advice would you give them? Right, I'll give you two. Um, so the first thing is, this was never ever happening to me, it was happening for me. I know that sounds cliche, but I, I really believe it, it was true. This is a result of toxic emotions, toxic behavior, and running too hard due to fear and massive long-term trauma of running out, not having enough, not being enough, just this grind of fear. And this, and it pay, your body will pay a price eventually when things get out of sync. You feel like you gave yourself cancer? Um, I for sure have a genetic predisposition towards colorectal cancer. I know for a fact because uh, a good number of people that I graduated with in a small graduation class had what I have. I grew up in a rural town where there was a field in front of our house, behind our house, to the left and to the right. Corn and soybeans and chemicals being sprayed all the time. There's no question in my mind that there was a chemical pesticide component to this, um, plus a lot of unrestricted, unhealthy, um, like fast food while I was on the run. Even though I, I was raised in a very clean environment food-wise, we grew our own food, we ate from the garden, we caught our own fish, but you know, who knows? But I believe, to answer your question, that a massive part of getting a disease are caused by toxic emotions. And if you've ever heard of a book called You Can Heal Your Life by Louise Hay from Hay House, she talks about the emotional causes of physical disease now, in the case of uh, colorectal cancer and digestive issues specifically, it's, it's um, repressed rage and anger. And I held in my emotions. I put on a smiley face, but deep inside I was like, oh, you know, I was so angry and mad. And, uh, and I just held it in and I put on a happy face and repressed, repressed, repressed. And I felt it in my gut. You know, it was like, lava in there for years. So yeah, I think I had a hand in uh, unconscious behavior that caused a, in a toxic environment that eventually erupted into cancer. Yes, I Thanks, did. so I interrupted you. You were gonna share some of your two stories you said around your journey there. Yeah, so how bad did it get? So here's the worst. There were three instances where I literally could have flipped the switch and decided to die. So um, what happened was um, for the majority of my treatment, I did not take any painkillers. I wanted to muscle my way through it. And I was so afraid I was going to become an opiate junkie. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm like, I'm just going to bear through this and be a strong man, <clears throat> not knowing the kind of trauma that causes to your brain. You know, you're, you're, and that's a cumulative thing as well. But I'd be laying in bed. So imagine yourself laying in bed in the fetal position with just this horrible pain, steel in your mouth. It's sort of like you got a mouthful of pennies all day long. Um, you can feel your hair falling out of your scalp and you can, you can almost hear it. It's like noise, weird noises and clinking and clicking. Um, and you're tired constantly. You just can't get <clears throat> awake. And in the act of movement, like your joints hurt, Everything hurts. And at my worst, I was on the toilet 37 times in one day. 
Okay, which means your rear end is burning because right. I didn't I didn't have a bidet in the hospital. I wish I did, you know, right. but um, you are sore and your mouth feels like cotton. And, you know, I just remember sitting on the toilet and just like everything's going through me and there nothing's coming out. It's just my body's just trying to get rid of whatever's in it. And I remember just looking at the toilet paper roll going, do I want to endure one more day of this. And I can remember going, now I understand when you hear someone chooses to die. I could have chosen to die. But then I started a new practice, which was all I have to do is go five more minutes. And at the end is my son and my wife. And by that time, your brain is playing tricks on you because your brain's telling you it's always been this way and will always be that way. Hmm. You can't tell the difference. Hmm. So I just reminded myself five more minutes and I'd go five more minutes. I go, I made it five more minutes. I know I can go five more minutes. And that became a ritual. And then I started practicing a, basically a little out of body experience where I became a camera just observing this perfect body, this gift from God that had purpose and reason and had gifts to give. And I felt compassion and empathy for that body and I could see it and and witness it without being it and that little act got me through every moment just a little bit further a little bit further and it uh, and then I started feeling better I got Ma through the uh, through the pain Mike as our time begins to um, ebb here I want to get a couple more questions in what practical advice would you give to all of us who are seemingly healthy right now, who may at some point very likely face some kind of you know, cancer diagnosis in our own lives? What advice would you give to the men and women out there to say, do this, don't do that, beware of this, go to the doctor, give us some tips? Sure. Um, the first one is, uh, of course, I'm a huge proponent of getting uh, your colonoscopy especially if it runs in the family, do not put it off. And if you ever see any form of blood, that is a sign from God, okay? That is a screaming red light. And do not hesitate, do not wait. Nothing else is more important than your survival and you being present for your family. Um, so it's all about priorities. Second thing is frequent blood work. Um, nowadays, uh, you can, these are detectable, getting um, larger, advanced panels makes a big, big difference. Um, I'm a huge believer in working with functional medical doctors. So here's my formula. Number one, quit drinking anything but water. Um, you know, and sugary sodas and stuff should be a weekly treat, not a daily occurrence. And it's what you do all the time that matters, not what you do once in a while. Yeah. Um, watch, you know, just have lean, high quality food, exercise and sweat. I think sweat is the most powerful thing you can do. I have a Peloton. I get on it every single day, even if it's for 20 minutes. You can always take 20 minutes out for your body, no matter what, no matter how busy you think you are. Um, but it's just like water, simple food, sweating, blood work, colonoscopy. Those are the core things. And statistically speaking, a third of all men are going to have cancer, 50% of all women in our lifetimes. That means someone around you is going to get it. And um, it's really about priorities. So that's that's my simple advice. Great. And yeah. I know I, I go into some more detail in the book and we'll give everyone a copy of that too. 
Mike, what, uh, what advice would you give to the family member, the caretaker, the friend, when they find someone in their life has cancer? Again, everyone's different. Not everyone has your bravado and your entrepreneurial leadership experience. Any, any generic advice that you think everybody could benefit from on the, on the, on the outer edge of cancer? For sure. Um, the biggest thing that I have found is being able to communicate and talk about it. So I have a, a good friend who we just had a memorial this past weekend for him who refused to listen. He refused advice. I tried to introduce him to some people. He, after getting out of uh, surgery, he started eating junk and drinking soda because all calories are good calories. Um, and just continued a toxic lifestyle. It's not a judgment, it's an observation, and he's not alive right now. Um, and I think what I will tell you is it's harder for the people observing the one going through it. It was, it, I, I'm glad it was me and not my wife and my son. So the best thing to do is try to have feeling conversations. You know, how are you feeling? What's going on? Um, and I also recommend therapy. I would definitely get a good therapist who has practiced and has supported this. Um, so you know what to do with your feelings. You're not projecting on that person because um, it's rough enough. And uh, the other piece of advice I have is listen to your doctors. Anyone who's not a doctor, anyone who's selling, selling MLM products or are pill pushers or into feathers and crystals and fuzzy bunnies, which I love all that stuff, it's it's not, you know, someone doesn't have the potential of going to jail for giving you bad advice. I wouldn't listen to it. How's that for very, very direct? <laughs> Mike, cancer does not define you. It's not who you are. You have been a, a, a multiple decade long entrepreneur. I mentioned earlier, best-selling author. You've got a lot of exciting things going on. Your wife runs a nonprofit. Your, your son's getting ready to, to join a college. But you also have some exciting things going on in your own life. I mean, you're one of the judges on this entrepreneur program called Elevator Pitch. Talk a bit about that. And it's kind of the internet's version of Shark Tank. Uh, it's a great program. Talk about your role with Elevator Pitch. Sure. Um, well, one of the things I do is I write a regular column for Entrepreneur Magazine and Forbes. And I got to be close with the president of Entrepreneur Magazine. He's a great guy. His name's Bill Shaw. And uh, he, had, he saw my studio, he's seen some of my videos, and he goes, hey, would you consider being a judge on Elevator Pitch? And I said, yes, I would. So um, went in, we shot season, a season, and um, it went so well. I'm doing another season right now. It's, I call it Shark Tank with a heart. Yeah, There's right. much more learning and education. It's a total blast to watch. Really um, good people. And I love television. I love being in front of the camera. I spent decades behind the camera doing production for a right, while. Right. And uh, the other half of what I'm doing is I work with executives and professionals who want to simplify their lives, build amazing personal brands, um, create higher ticket experiences and offers, and are interested in co-creation and innovation and going deep and narrow instead of wide and shallow. I love simplicity, especially after this, preservation of um, my spiritual self, my marriage, which I reinvented of 18 years in a good way. My, my son knows who I am. I know who he is. I'm in the best shape of my life right now. And, 
And it's because I built a business that supports a lifestyle instead of being a slave to the scraps that are left over, which often happen to us busy entrepreneurs and executives. Mike, such an honor to be with you today. Uh, you've self-published Cancerpreneur. I know you're working with a, a large publishing house in the coming weeks to see if we can get it. Uh, we Thank say you we, for we, that introduction, you, Scott Miller. To a broader audience. You can buy the book on Amazon, is it right? Available on Amazon? Yeah. Yeah. I purposely kept it. It's um, I make virtually no profit on it, so it's super affordable. Cancerpreneur, you can get it on Entrepreneur. And I donate all the profits to a nonprofit. Uh, the charity, the Just Like My Child Foundation that my wife has been running now for 14 years, um, which is helping girls, um, first of all, learn about their bodies, prevent early child marriage, forced child marriage, um, pregnancy, HIV, AIDS, and now is rolling out in South Dakota with the Great Sioux Nation and also in India, Rishikesh, India. Um, really powerful program that saved the lives of uh, tens, if not hundreds of thousands of girls and, and boys for that matter. Mike, this conversation has been a gift. I, I hope that your book becomes wildly read uh, because it was a gift to me, not having really any personal association yet in my life with cancer. I read every word of it, and it's why I invited you on today. Uh, I have to share a funny story about you. So I came out to your um, studio and home in La Jolla, I don't know, last year sometime, and I had a, a, a driver you know, drop me off and scheduled a ride to come back, and you said, no, 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 it's okay, I'll take you to the airport. I didn't know you that well, right? We talked on the phone and became friends since then. I've been good friends. And all of a sudden you said, you know what, I'll take you to the airport. And so you pull out this beautiful fill-in-the-blank what happened next. Uh, I've got... So I've been driving electric cars for 10 years, been a big uh, Tesla fan. The first one was a Tesla um, Roadster, the little one, which is actually built on a Lotus frame. And last year I sold my last business and I decided to buy a gift. So I got a, a Lotus Evora 400, which is a 400 horsepower supercharged basically a barely legal race car. <laughs> and um, you and I went out for a little, uh, barely little legal zippy drive. ride. So we dropped <laughs> it in race mode. Um, and uh, I showed you what six gears, 400 horsepower, and a super fast little car that loves to stick to the road does. And um, you were, I loved your face. You were smiling <laughs> like a seven-year-old. It, it was a good day. So well, first of all, I'd never been in the Lotus before. Car. I'd never been in the world's brightest yellow Lotus. And I was metaphorically seeing my own paper towel roll about halfway to the Orange or the San Diego airport. Mike, thanks for joining us today. The book is Cancerpreneur, How You, Your Marriage, Family, and Business Can Survive and Thrive, a Cancer Diagnosis and Treatment. Follow Mike on all social media. Connect to him on LinkedIn, and be sure to watch Elevator Pitch at entrepreneur.com. Mike, thank you for joining us today. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much, Scott. You're an amazing interviewer. I appreciate you. Look forward to having you back. Thank you for listening. If you're not subscribing to Franklin Covey's On Leadership series, visit franklincovey.com. Click on the On Leadership tab. Subscribe to it. It comes out every Tuesday. Uh, weekly via email. You also can download it or consume it on all your favorite podcast channels, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, you name it. We'd love to have you rank it, review it, and refer it to your friends. And we'll see you back here next week for a new interview on Franklin Covey's On Leadership.